Christ's mission is our mission. There's a reason why our call to share Christ and his gospel is called the Great Commission. Not just another commission, it is the greatest task you will ever be assigned. Do you know that the tremendous blessing of helping somebody walk from darkness into light is an opportunity that we will never have again after we die? Never. There's no lost people in heaven. There's no need for evangelism. You have one chance to be a part of the work of Christ in saving someone's soul. And you're living in that chance right now. Good morning, I'm Mark Stevenson. I'll be reading the scripture for this morning's Colossians 2, 1 through 15. It says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen my face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, and you, which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who are dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Thousands of years ago, there was an evergreen tree that was discovered off the Mediterranean coast. This evergreen tree was quite unique. Back in ancient times, they used it as a means of furnishing wood. They also used it on their food amongst a myriad of other things that they used it for. The interesting thing about this evergreen tree was that once it took root, it took 60 to 85 years to yield a consistent amount of fruit. In the Mediterranean areas and the surrounding areas which that tree was populated, fathers often would plant, plant this tree in the hopes that one day their son, their daughter, their children would be able to yield the fruit. This tree is an olive tree. And one of the oldest olive trees, uh, most individuals believe, is still currently um, going in the French Riviera. Some individuals actually speculate that it's been there for 2,200 years. Why do we talk about the olive tree today? What does this have any relevance to what we're going to be discussing? Because we need laborers in the church that will continue to further the kingdom of God 
even after they're long gone. How do we do this? By continuing to plant olive trees in the communities that we have been called to that future generations can reap the fruit from. That is both the burdens and the joys of walking in ministry. And so today, we're going to be talking about being the church. We've talked about connecting in corporate worship together. We've talked about growing in small groups, and we're talking about serving with one another. Now we're going to bring that all together and talk about how do we as believers be the church. Being the church is such a beautiful thing. And it's so wonderful that we all in this room get the opportunity to go out together and go witness to our communities But there are some steps that we need to take first. There are some things that we need to walk through with one another and to set some context up right now about what Paul is talking about in Colossians. He is warning the church in Colossae about all the different heretical teachings that can occur when we do not abide by what the word of God says. This church is doing a great job of furthering the word of God. And so here's what Paul is doing. He's stepping in interceding and saying, hey, I don't want you guys to listen to false teaching. I don't want you to listen to the various narratives that are out there in the world, the human traditions, the philosophical understandings. I want you to listen to what God says. I want you to listen to who Jesus is and what he has done for us and continue to take that message and pass it on from generation to generation to generation. So here's what we're gonna be doing today. We're gonna be doing something a little bit different. Normally what we do is we go and walk through these verses verse by verse, one, two, three, four, all the way down to 15. Today, I wanna do something different with you, and here's why. In scripture, there are different sections of thought that can be found, and these sections of thought come together to formulate what we know as the structure of God's word, the systems and processes about how we get to understand the knowledge of God. So this is what I wanna do with you. We're gonna go to specific verses that have specific lessons in it inside of this passage of scripture. So we're going to be starting with verse 8 today, and then we're going to move on through verses 9 through 15 in a big chunk. Then we're going to go verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to conclude with verse 5. It is so important that when we survey God's word, that we go and we look at it, we learn from it, we glean the information that is coming off of the pages because this is the word of God. And so we must take it, we must treasure it inside of our hearts and apply it to our daily lives. So we're going to understand this that being the church requires time, it requires trust, and it requires a dedication to discipleship. Time, trust, and dedication to discipleship. Let's start with time. Time is a beautiful thing, but it is also sometimes a painful thing. It depends on what type of season that you're in. So here's what Paul says in verse eight. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. How does time fit into this? How how does time apply to this? Well, it's going to take time for you, for me, to get to know one another. So that way, when we go and we go and witness to our communities, to our neighborhoods, to our homes, that we are able to tell the difference between what is human tradition, what is philosophy, and what is God's word. Okay, you have to understand that. You have to know what God's word says. You have to understand the difference between philosophy. One of the things I love that Paul says here, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. You wanna know what empty deceit is? It's a concept with a little bit of truth in it. That's empty deceit. Truth 
is solid. It's foundational. You can't question the truth because it's true. Empty deceit in its nature are lies that are sprinkled in with a little bit of truth that create this framework for you to believe. And here Paul is saying, church, stop believing the deceit. And one of the things that I want to set up for when we talk about the false teacher portion of this, this is something that's so, to remember, so important to remember. A false teacher, biblical definition of what a false teacher is, is an individual who is going to teach something that is not true according to the word of God, and after an individual comes and confronts him on it, they say, no, I'm going to teach what I want to teach. Do not go and make a witch hunt out of false teachers. There's one thing that we can know, and there's one thing that is true, is that an individual who says something wrong about God's word, who is confronted about it according to Matthew 18, where biblical confrontation is present, and then who comes up and apologizes and say, hey, I messed up. That person's not a false teacher. They just didn't get it right. A false teacher is an individual who is going to go out and say, I'm going to promote what I want to promote, and it doesn't matter what God's word says. That is what a false teacher is. And so for us, it's important to have this understanding. Don't be known as a false teacher. Don't try to take God's word and manipulate it and contort it into whatever you want to promote. Our burden and our joy is the ability to come up and open God's word and say, okay, this is what the word of God says, and we get to communicate it to you. So nothing that I'm doing here is promoting my own agenda, but it's just taking the word of God. Here's what it says. Let me help you understand it. That is what a teacher is supposed to do is to teach. And so for those of you who are teachers inside of this room, continue to teach the word of God in a biblical manner. Do not take the word of God and use it for your own devices or for your own ways. That's exactly what Paul is warning against here. Point number two says this, it takes time to build healthy things. It takes time to build healthy things. It is going to take time to continue to build the cultures that we're building here at Coastal Chesapeake. And it's been so beautiful to see all the different things that the Lord has done already, all the communities that he's continued to build. I want to remind you of this as we continue to build healthy things, as we continue to get to know one another, that it is important that we understand that we are not acquaintances in Christ, but that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not acquaintances. We are brothers and we are sisters. You know, one of the things that I love about my brother and my sister They've seen the best of me. They've seen the worst of me. They've seen everything in between and they're not afraid to call me out on it. And the same goes for me to them. They have been there for me at my lowest moments to comfort me and care for me. They have been there for me at my best moments to rejoice and praise God for everything that he's doing in my life. And I've done the same. So if we take this familial approach, which the church is a family, and we start applying it to our daily lives, what would it look like if we started actually treating each other like brothers and sisters? where we would get to know one another, where we would get to walk with one another in what God's word says. That's being the church. It's being a family. It is doing life with one another. That is why it takes time to build something healthy because it takes time to get to know your family members. It takes time for all of us to get to know one another, to fellowship and to do life together. The third thing, it takes time to evangelize our community, witness, we would be doing you a disservice if we did not teach you how to teach the word of God to other people and just send you out into the community and say, go have at it. Because you have to know what is human tradition. You have to know what is philosophy. You have to know what the word of God says about these human traditions and philosophies that are not true, that are empty deceits. And so if we don't take the time to teach you 
If you don't take the time to get plugged into a small group where you'll be taught, here's what the word of God says. Here's how you teach it to other people. Here's how you go and make disciples who go and make disciples. Then we're doing you a disservice because we can't go and send you out into the community not knowing if you know what God's word says. You have to know what the word of God says and you have to do it together as a family. That is why being the church requires time. And like I said about the olive tree, we wanna be able to take the fruits that we're planting in this church and allow it to continue on for generation to generation to generation. And it starts now. It starts with this group of people. We've continued, we planted this church over a year ago. And now we've continued to see the growth that God has provided. And praise God for the growth that he's provided here. Praise God for the people that he's brought here. Each and every single one of you have so many different gifts, and it's so fascinating getting to know every single one of you. It is so cool to see the different giftings that God gives people. You need to go and use your gifts and use them in the church to help further the kingdom of God. Help us reach the community of Chesapeake. Be the church. Let me tell you this, there's a difference. You may say, well, I know how to do church. That's great. That's awesome, that's wonderful. But we're not asking you to know church. We're asking you to go and be church. We want you to go and do as we continue to reach this community for God and for his kingdom. The next thing that being the church requires is trust. That's a big word and it's a heavy word. And there's a lot of weight to the word trust. So here's what Paul does. Paul ends up taking basically what would be the argument that individuals use against the Lord. And he uses it and shows these individuals how this is how you properly teach God's word. You'll see this as we go ahead and walk through verse nine. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. We gotta pause right here. This is a heavy passage of scripture. It is one of the most fundamental components of a doctrine of faith. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. There were individuals in the early church who sought to make the argument that Jesus was not the son of God. So if you've never been to church and if you don't know any of the history of church, let me give you a quick church history lesson, okay? This is something that is so important. I really want you to get this and I want you to understand this. If you separate the deity from the son of God, then the sacrifice that Jesus made means absolutely nothing. He had to be fully God. You cannot argue against that. You can't. But there was an individual who did. In AD 325, there was a council that came about. It was called the Council of Nicaea. And I'm going to give you a very broad, 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 broad explanation of this individual. His name was Arius. Part of the reason that this council was drafted was to address the heretical false teaching of Arius. They had gone to him. They had said, hey, dude, you need to stop teaching this. This isn't of God. And he said, no, this is right. And so because of this, they had to go and deem him a heretic. Here's what he taught. He taught that Jesus and the Holy Spirit were merely a creation, that there, were no, there was no divinity in them whatsoever. And so because of that, the council came and they said, no, you're wrong. We've confronted you on this. You didn't change. You are now deemed a false teacher. Do not try and separate the deity from Jesus. He was fully God and he was fully man. The fullness of deity dwelt in him. He was God. He is God. And he is our father and our friend. Do not separate it. 
Verse 10, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. This should bring us like comfort and peace. If he is the head of all rule and authority, if he is over all things, then that should give us comfort. That should make us want to follow him. If I know that somebody is over all things, man, I wanna be a part of that. I wanna go. I wanna go and serve. I wanna go be the church. I wanna continue to be in the relationship with Jesus Christ because he is over all things. You know what that tells me? God protects us. If he is over all things, if he is actively working and engaging inside the lives of everybody in this room, then we have a level of protection because he is the authority over all. And that should cause us to dwell in the comfort of the Father. And that should cause us to get excited about all the different things that we are doing. Verse 11, in him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Why is this in here? Well, in Acts chapter 15, there was a Jerusalem council that came up. And here's what happened in Acts chapter 15. There were individuals inside of the church community who thought that once a Gentile converted to Christianity, that they needed to be circumcised. So in the early church, these guys were like, hey, like we got to figure out like an answer to this. Because otherwise we got people saying, do I have to get circumcised? Do I not have to get circumcised? Picture that being 45 years old and having to go get circumcised. That's rough. So for us, what we need to understand in the context of this scripture is Paul is continuing to diffuse the tension of having to be circumcised. And so here's what he says, and he uses this metaphor so wonderfully. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off of the flesh. So here's what the Lord did upon receiving him, upon believing that he died on the cross for our sins through his death, burial, and resurrection, that we have the opportunity to walk into a relationship with him. There is a cutting off of this flesh that is dwelling inside of our heart, and we get to dwell in the spirit. And so because of this, we do not have to go get that physical circumcision inside the context of what Paul was talking about inside of Colossians. He's diffusing that false teaching. And so for them, it was so imperative and important that they understood that what Christ did on the cross for your sins, through that sacrifice, we have the ability to walk in the spirit and walk in truth upon choice of believing in him. And so Paul's saying, hey, like, you don't gotta worry about that. Don't major in the minors. Focus on what God is doing actively right now. Here's what it says in verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. There's some tension points with different members and individuals uh, across the Big C Church about baptism. Here at Coastal Church, we believe that baptism is an outward expression of the inward change that occurs inside of your heart and your life. So we do not believe that baptism is, again, salvific in any nature. So we believe that when an individual receives Christ into their heart and into their life, makes a profession of faith, then we ought to go and be baptized in an act of obedience to what Jesus commanded us to do. And that baptism is actually a testimony of the change that occurred inside of our heart and inside of our life. So it was a proclamation of saying, hey guys, I'm a Christian. That's what it is. But I don't wanna devalue that. Because here's something that's so cool and so profound. I have been a part of baptisms where individuals have literally seen people be baptized and say, I, I want to know Christ. Just merely by the action. And it is crazy how Christ reconciles people to him. No words were spoken, just the action of saying, hey, 
Again, I'm professing that I know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in my life, and this is what he did to me, did for me. I've seen people come to Christ because of that. It is so crazy how God works and how much he loves us. And again, this beautiful and articulated nature that Paul provides, again, through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, establishing the authority over the, of the Father over all things, having the power to raise the Son from the dead. That is the same God that we have the joy and the blessing of serving. It is the same God that we get to come here today and worship. And as we open up God's word, again, it's here to teach, but this is also a form of worship to God. Right now, we are giving God the glory by opening up his word and fellowshipping together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And as we talk about continuing to be his church, it is so important for us to understand just the weight and the value that we have inside of Christ because of what he did for us. Verse 13. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. All means all, and that's all all means. It means all. Everything that you have done, everything that you currently are doing, and everything that you will do has been forgiven. Everything. It's so hard for us to ponder what everything means. Because if we say that it's everything's forgiven, that means that it has no box. It's in no box. It is just everything that we could ever do. That's how much the Father loves you. And I don't know about you, but that makes me want to serve him that much more. If he's forgiven me of everything that I have done, and I know what I've done, I'm not proud of it. If he's forgiven me of everything that I currently am doing, man, praise God, that's awesome. I hate it when I slip up and sin. It's the worst feeling in the whole wide world. But I'm grateful that I have a father who's forgiven us of the trespasses that we have committed and given us an opportunity to be able to go to Jesus, who is our high priest according to Hebrews. And there he is able to speak on our behalf, say, no, father, this is one of my kids. He is forgiven. She is forgiven. And it is such a wonderful thing that we have a father who does that. Verse 14, by canceling the record of the debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. In the Greco-Roman culture, here's what would happen. A record of debt is literally a piece of paper that has all the debts that you owe that you have to show and carry around or that other people can show to you. Think about the weight of that. Now, here's what Paul is saying. Christ took that record of debt, and as he was nailed to the cross, so did he nail that record of debt to the cross. Here's something that's very fascinating. The brutality of the Roman government was something that was unseen. What they would do is they would place individuals on crosses, and as they were entering the city, they would have highways of individuals who were on crosses that basically said, hey, if you mess up, this is what's going to happen to you. Here's something that's so fascinating about that. Everybody can see individuals on the crosses. So think about this. If your record of debt is nailed to the cross, not only can you see your record of debt on the cross, but everybody else can as well. Let that sink in. And that is completely forgiven. It was funny. We saw that student loan debts were canceled 
And there are individuals, again, like I was looking at Facebook, looking on the news and seeing all these individuals praising God. And it's, it's really crazy. Like, what would it look like if we would praise God for the record of debt that he canceled against us? What would that look like? The same excitement, the same passion, the same praise. What would that look like? It makes you really challenge your perspective on, on who you praise and who you may view as a God. I want to give you this encouragement. If you haven't figured it out by now, trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. That is everything that verses 9 through 15 screams is trust the Lord. The last thing, verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them open to by triumphing over them. Now, when we see rulers and authorities, immediately we think, oh, he just triumphed over the Roman government. He, tri he triumphed over people. That's not what this is talking about. He triumphed over the things that we can't see, the demonic powers, the things that we're not supposed to be looking at. He triumphed over all those things, putting them open to shame. Man, that's somebody that I want to trust. That's somebody that I want to serve faithfully and wholeheartedly all the days of my life because of what he did for someone as undeserving as me. Next thing, trust the leadership God has placed in your church. As we continue to be the church, I'll say this is really important that we trust the leadership that God has placed in the church. But notice, it doesn't just say trust the leadership. It says trust the leadership that God has placed in the church. God foreknew who would be the pastors of these, this church. God foreknew the individuals who would be present here today. And so therefore, we must place our trust in him who has appointed these individuals to be able to shepherd his flock. Let me remind you of something important. Your pastors are sheep too. We need as much prayer from you as we try to give to you. We need the encouragements. We need the, hey, like, have you tried this? Or is this another way that we can go about doing ministry? Have you ever thought about this? Again, it's an iron sharpens iron concept, but I am a sheep too. So this is, this is not a humble brag by any means, but I wanna share this with you because there are a lot of pastors on our staff, not only at this campus, but at other campuses that have this mentality. This is the leadership that you have here at this church. So before uh, Mary and I got things that we agreed to, uh, is that she would hold my resignation letter. Here's why. And a lot of the pastors here, they adopt a very similar philosophy. And I would encourage you, if you're ever looking to go into full-time vocational ministry, I would adopt this process. So here's why Mary holds my resignation letter. If I'm ever in sin to the point where my pride blocks it and I don't step away, then my, my helpmate, my best friend, can step in and say, hey, overseeing elders, here's this resignation letter. He's not in a healthy place. He needs to step down. That is the weight that a lot of our pastors here at this church carry as we go and we shepherd the flock. We love the people that we got to serve in Houston. We love you guys now, and we're going to love the people that, we're, that God's going to continue to bring through these doors and so there is a level of weight that a shepherd has. So I would encourage you, again, if you're ever going into full-time ministry, allow your helpmate to hold your resignation letter. And also, here's the crazy thing about that as well. It also applies if I'm not being a good husband. It also applies if I'm not being a good father whenever we have kids. 
because those are the two most important ministries that anybody will ever have here, is your family. This is the weight of the individuals who are here at your church, not just at this campus, but at other campuses as well. We want to care for your flock. And if we are ever out of line or a false teacher, we want you guys to know that we have parameters in place for us to step back if those things ever do occur. Continue to pray for us. Continue to pray for your shepherds who are also sheep. Trust the Lord's cadence and will as we continue to grow. As we continue to see all the wonderful things that God is doing here at Coastal Chesapeake, we must continue to trust God's cadence and his will for us. God has an awesome ebb and flow to him. It is so cool. There are times where in, in my past where I thought, man, God, you've absolutely forgotten about me. And then boom, he pops up. And what's crazy is he never left in the first place. I just forgot to look. And so the most beautiful thing that we know about our father is that his cadence, his will, his timing, it's perfect. It is so perfect and it is so good. And that makes us and ought to make us want to go and trust in him fully. Now we're gonna move back to verses six through seven. We're gonna be talking about discipleship. Verse six, it says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Are you being discipled? Have you been discipled? Have you been discipled? Have you been poured into? There is no excuse here at Coastal. We have small groups. We have people here who are willing to go and disciple you. It is, the ball is literally in your court. If you want discipleship, it is here. If we're going to continue to reach the community here in Coastal Chesapeake, we need to continue to submit ourselves to the process of discipleship. Can I learn how to walk with God as I received him? Can I learn how to continue to do life with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Can I learn how to go and reach my community? My second question for you is this. Have you been trained to disciple? If you have been discipled, is there a desire for you to go and disciple others? And if so, have you been trained? One of the things I'll brag on Pastor Brian, dude is incredibly gifted at discipling other people and training up leaders in small groups incredibly gifted. If you have a desire to lead a small group or to go and serve, he will pour into you and train you up and be able to teach you how to go and shepherd and teach other people. We have people that are here who love developing future leaders. We have individuals here who love helping other people reach their communities, their neighborhoods, their families. It is up for you to decide if you would like it. And then the last thing, if you have been discipled, if you have been trained to disciple, this is my question for you. Are you discipling? Are you being the church? Are you going and making disciples who go and make disciples? That was part of our commandment in the Great Commission. Are you making disciples? I'm not asking you to have 12 or, or 20. Start with three or even start with one. Whatever your bandwidth can hold. But don't be known as an individual who just sits inside of the congregation on Sunday mornings, who has all these talents and treasures that God has given them. And instead of giving them and serving in some capacity, you just say, man, somebody else has got it. Somebody else will do it. Let me challenge your perspective on that. What if God has called you to do it? What if he's given you a perfect opportunity with someone that you can pour into because of your life experiences, that other individual is going through the exact same thing. And you said, somebody else has got it. 
Here at Coastal, one of the things that we love to do is if you have an area where you would like to serve, if you have an area where you want to be able to shepherd, even if it is pouring coffee, if you just want to be a behind-the-scenes person to say every Sunday morning, I'm going to own that coffee station, I'm going to make the best coffee that Chesapeake has ever seen. If you want to do that, we have that for you. If you want to sit in the back of the sound booth and like be like a little DJ and go ahead and mix all the sound and everything like that, we have that for you. If you want to go up and literally press a space bar and make sure that the slides are going up behind me, Come on, we got that for you. If you want to go serve inside of a kid's ministry, if you want to hold a baby, if you want to go and teach grade schoolers and pre-K students, we have that for you. If you want to come and disciple individuals and mentor individuals in a student ministry, we have that for you. If you want to be a part of a prayer ministry, if you want to go hand out offering, if you want to go fill in the blank, we got it. And if there's something that you're passionate about that we don't have, come to us and talk to us about it. And we will find a way to use your giftedness inside of the areas of services that we have here at this church. Don't neglect to serve. You don't know what kind of testimony you can give. You don't know what kind of testimony you can give. Jump in, serve, and start being the church because that is so exciting. It's exciting when we have people who are more gifted than us go up here and just absolutely crush it at what they do. My job, my vocation, my calling is not to be the best of the best. My job is literally to equip you. It's literally to take the giftings, the talents that God has given you, say, hey, you're really gifted in this. Have you ever thought about serving in this area? And then getting you involved in serving inside of the local church so we continue to go and further the gospel because we're a family. And brothers and sisters, we are going to continue to exhort and encourage each other to use our giftedness and serve here at this church. We connect together in corporate worship. We grow together in small groups and we serve in ministry and in mission. We have the ability to go and reach Coastal Chesapeake in a really great way. This whole area, everything that we have around us, land is starting to be developed. There are people here that need Jesus. Now we need you guys to help us be the hands of you to Christ. We need you to help us further the kingdom of God here in Chesapeake. Here's what verse seven says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. We are rooted up, we are built up in him and we are established in the faith, just as we were taught abounding in thanksgiving. We've gotta be thankful and excited when we get to use our gifts to further the kingdom of God. When we start walking in discipleship, when we start growing in our relationship with God, that should excite us. As we start to wind down this morning, here's what I want you guys to understand. Again, the cadence and the timing of the Lord is a wonderful thing, but there is also a burden that we must feel. A lot of you may have invited individuals to church, but there's a second step in being the church because it may start with an invite, getting people here, but again, that's not where it ends. Look what Paul does in verses one through four. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So here is what Paul is doing. Even though he is at a distance, even though he helped plant and start up this church, establish the leadership inside of it, even though he's at a distance, he's not physically there now, he is still actively ministering to that congregation. 
So for us, it may start with an invite getting somebody inside of the door, but how are you continuing and furthering that by discipling, by doing life with these individuals that you're inviting, by breaking bread with them, getting connected with them into the life and body of the church? How are you doing those things? How are you taking those steps? How are you caring for a congregation in the way that Paul cared for all those individuals, even though he physically wasn't there with him? That's leadership. He cared enough for them to continue to exhort them, even though he was at a distance. And so here's a story that I want to share with you. There's going to be some pictures that are going to be up in the background. When I was in Houston, Texas, uh, I was blessed with the opportunity to do a lot of ministry with some kids from rough areas. So one of the things that I saw is when these students, they were, they were playing football. I showed up to one of their football games. And as, as they were playing football, I looked back at the stadium, and probably out of the 40 players that were on this team, probably 10% of their parents were there. And so I looked at that and I said, man, these kids already come from a rough area. Mom and dad can't be there. I want to go and be the church to them. So I want to go to them. I want to meet them where they're at. So here's what we did and here's what our team did. We consistently did life with them. We broke bread with them. We showed up to their games. We showed up to some of their school events. We went and we opened up our home for us to be able to give them meals. We took them out to Raising Cane's Chicken Tenders. All the time after games, we went to Wing King. And I had one kid who literally downed like 50 wings. It was really impressive. But here's what we saw. Here's what we saw through that. This is something that's so interesting that we saw. It wasn't just because of, it wasn't because of inviting them to church that they came to know Christ. It was because of us going and being the church to them that they came to know Christ. And that is everything that you have the capacity and the capability to do. I don't want to come in here and downplay what we're doing here because this is fundamental. This is important. We need to come and continually worship together as brothers and sisters in Christ. But I want to challenge and exhort you and just say this. It may start with an invite either to your home, an invite to break bread with somebody, an invite to the church, but continue to pursue those relationships. Look at how Jesus did ministry. It was so relational. It was so good. He sat down with individuals that normally some modern day Christians would never sit down with, and he broke bread with them. He wanted to go and reach the lost people. He wanted to go reach the individuals in his community. He wanted to show them love, care, kindness. We have the capacity to do those things as we strive to be the church. We have the capability to go out and show others the love of Christ. Start with inviting somebody to your home. Go and break bread with them. As you guys do small groups together here at the church, you have an awesome opportunity to be able to invite people into those small groups who you don't know and who other people in your small group don't know. And that's where growth and health and community start to occur in the life of an unbeliever. Continue to be the church now. And the final thing that Paul gives to us here is verse five. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Rejoice and remain steadfast. We can praise God for all the things that he is doing here at Coastal Chesapeake, and we ought to. We should rejoice when individuals go from death to life. We should rejoice when we go out and we witness to the communities who are seeking discipleship and we go and disciple individuals. We should praise God for all the different things that he is doing. We should rejoice at how the Father loves us. So my last thing for you is to take you all the way back full circle, back to the olive tree. Healthy things take time to grow. Do not grow weary of laboring. Here's why. 
And this is so important. I want you to get this. If we labor now here at Chesapeake, we continue to plant these olive trees. What would it look like that after all of us are long gone and dead and in heaven, if because of the fruits that were sown here by acting in obedience, other individuals end up coming to know Christ after we're long gone, end up coming to grow up and keep these church doors open because they're continuing to serve inside of the church because they're continuing to be the church. That's all because we make a choice today to continue to labor, even if we don't even get to see the fruits of our labor in hopes that other generations will. That is the burden and the blessings and the joys of ministry in one whole circle. Be selfless. Don't be selfish. If I don't get to see the work of my hands, I don't care. I'm gonna be with Jesus in heaven. I'm gonna be having a great time. But what I wanna do is I wanna make sure that the next generation behind me, I do my part and make sure that they're set up to continue to pass on the gospel message to the next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation, and so forth and so on. That is a healthy legacy to leave this earth. Do not grow weary of doing what is good. Continue to abide in the Lord. And in your spare time, go and plant a couple olive trees. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your loving kindness and your mercies that are new uh, every single morning. God, you're so good and you're so kind. We rejoice in abundance of what you provided. Just continue to help us grow your ministry and your kingdom here at Chesapeake. Help us to be the church and not grow where you're doing so. In your son's name we pray, amen.